Simpler times, such simple, joyous times, scratchy vinyl, repetitive, likeable choruses, nonsensical lyrics, and tinny, synthesised loops. Madonna was just 24 when her debut self-titled album landed, and as its five singles were individually dropped, the album steadily climbed the charts, taking a full 12 months to peak in the top 10 American Billboard charts. It was what we call a slow burner. And of course, the album was evidence that Madonna, virtually unknown at the time, was already an individual, writing many of the tracks herself, arguing with collaborators about the songs and their mixes, and creating videos that would hint at future controversies. Think about Borderline with its symbolism and focus on an interracial relationship. This debut album may have only contained eight tracks, but it is chock-a-block with hits. What a diverse panel we have today. Welcome, Rocco, Simon, Megs, Chad, and David. Hello, friends. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi. Before we leap into this, thank you to all the people who are connecting us and leaving messages uh, and saying thank you for the podcast. It's great that we've got such a, a large listenership and that people are really enjoying the podcasts. Yeah. And if you want to get involved, reach out to us. You can be part of the podcasts. In fact, somebody very recently, Meg, suggested that we should do podcasts on the Spice Girls. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah that, that so, would be good, actually. Yeah, we quite possibly. We yeah. might go there. We yeah. might not. Not sure. The debut album, this is an exciting moment because this is where Madonna goes from you know relative unknown she'd released everybody and she was getting a bit of a, a name for herself locally in in her area and then all of a sudden bang she goes global I've got to ask David we're going to start with you what do you make of this debut album and, and what does it mean in Madonna's career uh, this was 1983 so it was like an epic time in music Michael Jackson, Prince, Cindy Lauper, Tina yes. Turner. Yes. So, so Madonna was coming out at a time when there was a lot of great talent. And she had to make make something her own, and I, I think she was ready to, to, like she said, with Dick Clark on American Bandstand, "I'm ready to rule the world, or I want to rule the world." I'm quoting her. Aren't you, David, that, that the context of this album is that this was the age of the megastar, wasn't it? And, and these some of the kids on the line with us tonight wouldn't even know what that's like because celebrity is so different now. But this was the age of the 80s MTV megastar. We're talking like it's just huge. I can't even quite put it into words. Mm. Uh, oh, I mean, just a juggernaut of, of, of talent. A lot of them we've lost, but Madonna, she, she, 37 years later, here she is. And she started off like as this sweet ingenue with a lot of jewelry and a, a lot of bad roots, but, uh, and stockings and gloves, but it, it worked for her. Just like all of the great artists, she didn't need to have a big body of work behind her for us to identify that there was something very special about this individual. We just gravitate towards them. It was like, uh, you know, people get sick of me saying it, but like with Kylie, I saw her on a little tiny show. She wasn't well known, wasn't famous at all. And I went, that's the girl. 
mm. something about her that's the girl just and presence, sure enough, a stage presence exactly yeah. right yeah. exactly right simon i love this album uh, i think that what's really interesting for me about this album is it spawned several really really iconic songs that now when you listen to them don't sound dated like holiday and lucky star and borderline still sound really like kind of edgy for the time and that you know they were big pop singles but like every song on this album is like five minutes plus so like you know none of it's kind of radio friendly but it still managed to be this like massive thing at the time well, I think it's an overlooked album in a lot of ways because, uh, and I'm not sure why, but I mean, you have to give it its due respect. I mean, this is what started it all. And you can, I listened to it again today to refresh and you can hear a hunger in her voice that almost oh, yeah. is not this quite the same type of hunger on any of her other albums, be they yeah. better or worse albums. It's There's like a growl in there and there's just this um, urgency that's in there. Uh, so I found it fascinating to go back and listen to in, in whole because I hadn't heard the whole thing like all in one sitting for quite some time. And, uh, I think it's definitely up there. I mean, you had, I just, just the, uh, the, the, the fact that it is her debut album, that it kicked off such a mammoth career, I think makes it pretty iconic. Chad, I'm so glad you say that you can hear that in the voice. She sings so differently here. Obviously, slightly less refined than where her voice went in her later career, but just raw and ambitious. I just hear ambition in her voice all over. Like she's, you can hear her leaning up to the microphone, I reckon, actually. It's just, it's, it's just so raw and unadulterated. Definitely. Chad, before, before we go on, Chad, I want you to give yourself a really brief plug because you run a fantastic Facebook group for uh, Madonna fans, don't you? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I run Madonna Vintage, which is on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, formerly the best Madonna picture collection, but focusing a little more on the past now. And I'm a singer, so I'm working on a new album for this year. There you go. We've got a celebrity on the line, Megs. Megs, you're you're 17 years old. Yes. Now this album is older than you. Yes. By a, two a times, time. yeah, possibly three like times. <laughs> We're never very good at math. No. But it's a very much older than you album. Yes. When you listen to this, what are you making of this debut album? Because surely even you can see that this. No wonder it kicked off a, a massive career, right? Yeah, it was. It's just so iconic. I think every song and the album itself is just like a magic formula. Like I just, I, I think it's completely timeless. Like we've said, like it doesn't matter when you play this. It just speaks. It speaks to the soul at a very deep level. I think. I think it's just a masterful creation. And um, with the vocals, I think they're really excellent. And I agree with uh, Chad about the the urgency that's in her voice. Like mm. she wants to prove herself. That's mm. what I get. She's really trying it and giving giving it her all. And she's young and she has all the energy in the world. And um, and her vocals were good because um, they're what convinced Seymour Stein to sign her once he heard everybody. And so she definitely had all the makings of an artist and he could see that. And so, um, yeah, it's so good that it took off the way it did. Originally sold as a black artist as well. I think everybody deliberately yes. didn't have her on the cover of a single. That's right, but then she didn't. She made sure that that was stamped out with video clip, didn't she? Yeah, Madonna was never mm. going to be hiding behind, you know, anonymity. No, that's for sure. I wouldn't not. have thought that was her style. Rocco? 
I I love this album. It's funny because the other two albums of hers that I talked with you guys about, I lived through those eras, whereas this is the one of the ones where I discovered it much later because I was not around for when this album came out. But um, I do love it, and I love the fact that it's an all-dance album and that she did not do any ballads because she was very smart in only making it a dance album but also it makes it so much more jam-packed and much more fun and I don't feel like I feel like there's no filler on this album I feel like even though some songs stand out more to me than others I can this is one of those albums I can listen to from start to finish without skipping anything it saddens me that the that the the ones on the line who heard this for the first time after it was released not that you could help it, so I forgive you for that. But yeah, you didn't hear it on vinyl. I had to hear this through my sister. She'd bring back records and, like so many people of my era, we heard all our first music through our uh, sister's or brother's record collections mm-hmm. and flicking through and pulled this one out and you put the little the vinyl in it. Yeah, it's a big deal to put yeah. a record on and you're not even allowed to touch the record player, so you have to wait till the right time where you can roll in there. I don't know if, David, this is a similar experience to you, but you you pull it out, put it on, and it's just the vinyl actually gives it uh, an even greater feeling of the time. It's Mm. such an 80s album. Such an 80s album. I love vinyl. Uh, They re-released her first three albums on 180-gram vinyl not that long ago, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Am I the only strange one that's this, the smell that's taking it out of the sleeve, the putting it on, the putting the needle on it? Like, it's oh, it's great. Special. I would have been like that. I can imagine. It's so great in the size of the artwork, everything. And can I just say, like, this album wasn't just, like, influenced by the 80s. I feel like it influenced the 80s itself. Like, it was, like, mm. a huge pop culture smash. That's just the stuff Definitely. Get. And it set the standard for other female artists that were coming into the world, like, even from Janet Jackson, that those types of artists, like she, she set the standard and she led the way um, for so many female artists. And yeah, I just think it's it's really iconic in that way. I agree. I don't believe that this album followed a trend. I think it's like you say, started a trend. However, yeah. in saying that, it is disco reincarnated. Yes, right. It, it's a bit of both, right? It, it did both. Well, it was a reflection of what was going on in New York at that time in the underground post-disco club scene. And that was not necessarily big on pop radio at that particular time. So she, when she first released her first few singles, she was seen as a dance artist and they were dance hits. But I think it took a while. It took until Holiday, I think, for her to make that crossover into the pop world. So mm. it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it became what 80s music was, but I think at the time it was not considered pop. It was considered dance. That's so true. And they even uh, packaged her multiple times in other formats and genres, like as more of a Pat Benatar. Um, She did like a little disco thing in Paris for a while before all of this. And they were trying to give her a little bit more of a like a rock image. And she had a few managers before her record deal that would lead to this album. But then that's Um, what all of the uh, demos for this album were originally. And like, you know, the, all the stuff that when we were talking about the prima donna collection that came out with uh, like laugh to keep from crying and all of that on it, like that, you know, that was all very kind of at Benatar and slightly rocky and slightly punky and, you know, in that sort of vein. 
Yeah, and she wrote a lot of that. I mean, she wrote the majority of the demos that got her a record deal. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. I mean, right there. I want to say that uh, Holiday and uh, another gem from that era, Let the Music Play by Shannon. Uh, really I love Shannon. Yes. Okay, so this is 1983, and the music landscape was changing immensely. And we, you know, they wanted to get away from from disco. And it was those two songs that I think really like transformed radio, like into a new, like, okay, this is, this is dance pop. I mean, I guess they call let the music play like freestyle. It's one of the best songs ever recorded, I think, but that and holiday are both so synonymous with that time, such an exciting time in music. And I, I just love the story that she was just in the nightclubs dancing away and the crowd loved her. And then she, she convinced the DJ literally just to play her track that she'd written, um, Everybody. Um, and he just did. And the crowd loved it apparently and lapped it up. And so that was the birth of her first single. And like that's just such an incredible origin story, I think. I, I love that. Um, yeah, and yeah, it, it doesn't work like that nowadays, does it? No, it doesn't. And the video clip was just so raw for, for everybody as well. I know we'll get to all that later, but it was just, yeah. I love the stories that, that show Madonna was always Madonna. For example, when she mm. went into the clubs performing everybody. Yeah. And you can go on YouTube and find some grainy footage of this. Apparently the dancers who were with her, of which there were only two or three, like she was very hard on them. Yeah, like in terms of their pay for it, in terms of their steps. In fact, it wasn't Chris, uh, her brother, yeah, one of the dancers, one of the dancers. Yeah, sorry, go and ahead. Erica Bell. Yep. Yeah, and they tell the stories about you know she she right from the start she was like a perfectionist. You're going to do it this way, and, yeah, and you know, but a hard worker, and she wanted everyone around her to work just as hard as she did. She performed like the artist she wanted to be rather than the one she was almost sort of thing. That's the, with the urgency that she, that we were talking about. She was just showing the world what she had and then eventually it paid off. One of the aspects of Madonna I, I admire and respect the most is her work ethic. She, she never stops. Yeah, she's, she's always working, working and it's fantastic. Because she trained as a dancer. So like she trained under Martha Graham, who was like, you know, one of the greatest mm. contemporary choreographers of all time. And I think that training as a dancer gives you like a really, really strong work ethic that a lot of other people don't understand. There are some people who are born with this unbelievable, kinetic, endless, boundless energy. And Madonna as a child and as a parent myself, I would not have wanted to parent her because she just yeah. would have been on the go the whole time. And they either go and what, and I'm talking about not just an energetic person, I'm talking about someone at the extreme end of that. And Madonna is one of them, thing, right? Yeah. And they can go one of two paths. They're either going to go down a path of destruction because that energy is put into, you know, drug use and, and just yeah. doing the wrong thing. Or Madonna it turns into a discipline. Mm. And as you just said, Simon, I think it was that, you know, she she went down the discipline track and she had the mentors around her to do that. Mm. And it's never in, never stopped. Even that Instagram we watched last night where she's writing her screenplay. By the way, wouldn't you hate to be writing or collaborating with Madonna after watching that? Oh, my God. What a pain <laughs> yeah, man. that was painful. Oh, she looked right. All I know is that I kept imagining if I, because I have to collaborate a lot in my line of work. And if she did that computer thing to me one more time, I would have went, you know what? 
I'm going to leave you with it. I'll come back in half an hour and then give me the laptop and I'll do my thing. Well, you, it was horrible to watch. However, it was a great insight into how she works. Yeah, she and, gets and what she wants. That's she does. Sure. She gets what she wants. I respect it. I just don't think I could tolerate being in the same room. I think probably because I'm a little bit similar to I'm usually the one taking the laptop. Yes. yes. <laughs> Nonetheless, we digress. She was working with a guy named Stephen Bray, who she would go on to work with a year, you know, starting with the Like a Virgin album and beyond that. But they were friends from uh, Michigan, actually. And he came to New York um, when she was in New York and they reconnected and they were making a lot of demos together. And he actually was one of the ones that, well, he was the one actually who she created the demo for everybody with. And he was saying how he expected to be part of the album, but they wanted another guy to produce it. So he was sort of kicked out of the process. So I thought that was interesting how he was there, but then they kicked him out and then he came back afterwards. And she did the same with Reggie Lucas. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she she was unhappy with the way he was doing things. And as we know, if Madonna's not happy, she'll get rid of them. And so that's what she did with him. And she moved on to another person um, that did better things for her. And so I think that's just like, even though she's not big yet, she's not a star yet, she's already calling the shots. I just love that. <laughs> she had the benefit. I know 24 is still young or 23 when she was producing yeah. this album, but she had the benefit of some maturity and she'd actually lived mm. a life then. I think she'd even been over to Paris and, you mm. know, had some mixed experiences and all of that. So yeah. at 24, though, you can start... Um, uh, sorry, interrupted by a text message. I, I think that's really her strength as an artist at that time is that she did have that development time. If you look at Prince, he also had that too. You, you can't say it for Michael Jackson, but um, back then artists were kind of uh, signed and then let to develop before released. Um, and I think that she had a lot of development time and it only worked to her benefit. I think that might be something that would benefit like modern day artists more but it just oh, doesn't absolutely. happen. It's, it's the younger, the better. And also giving them the freedom to to create as well. Like I, I, Madonna, if she'd started her career at 17, 18, this debut album would have been very different. And thank mm. God she had that infamous control over this. Mm. And, and you know, it makes so true that line later on that a DJ saved her life. Like a DJ took her and um, took her to the producers and also like remixed the tracks once she did it and all of that sort of stuff. So she really did have her beginnings with DJs that were saw a light in her. So yeah. Well she she Meg, she dated all of them. That's the funny thing. Like, <laughs> she did. It's like she I mean she dated Mark. She dated Jelly Bean. Yeah. She dated Reggie. It's like, okay, honey, well she, you know, she, she likes boys. So didn't she date Stephen yeah. Ray as well? Yeah, she dated him as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well but, I, well, but they're the ones that it. They're the ones that really stood the test of time in terms of friendship. He worked with her until like a prayer. So when it, when it comes to Stephen, I don't know if they dated at any point once he got back to New York. I remember him doing an interview where he said that when he first got to New York and reconnected with her, he thought about pursuing something like that with her, but that once he figured out that she had a lot of other, like a revolving door of guys, as he put it, um, she decided to kind of back off and just remain friends and keep things professional. Right. No wonder she related so well to the Ava Peron story, right? Because, you know, there's no question that she, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that she connects intimately with people, but there is a little bit of a, okay, what do I need to do to get to the next rung? Yeah, what do I need to yeah, do yeah. to get to the next I, rung? I did, like, I did like her with 
I liked her with Jelly Bean though. I thought he was such a cutie, and they look good together as a couple. So yeah, there there seemed to be a wealth of people surrounding her that she had attracted that would then help her to realize whatever dream she was having. Um, all of her friends and um, acquaintances from this time ended up helping her in some way, whether with dance or Martin Bajorin, her friend yeah. who ended up doing art design and was promoting her early shows. And everyone's just like working around the clock to like make this woman a star. Well, I don't think that that was necessarily her deliberately. I I don't think that was her deliberately using people per se as her trying to find a community of, of people that she could relate to. And because she was such a creative person, she was in New York at the perfect time. She was surrounded by these artists who were all friends of hers. And I think that it was just kind of a, a happy accident that all of these uh, artists could come together. Right. And um, I think uh, certain people have that kind of gravity that just like pulls mm. people in. And I think that's my point. I don't feel that she was using them, but she just was like the supernova that was very attractive and just kind of naturally was like that. I agree yeah. with you guys. I agree with you guys, but she still did the stepping stone with some of those people. She did. <laughs> a little bit. Yes. <laughs> but yes. those people were, but I don't, I, th- I don't think that those people would necessarily, were necessarily compatible with her. Like Camille, her, her first manager, she wanted her to go right. down, like Chad was saying, the Pat Benatar route. And that's not what yep. she wanted to do. So I, I think it was more her trying to figure out where her place was and where she fit in and where she was most comfortable. Yeah, to your point, Rocco, I think it was fairly innocent at the start. I mean, we can't say Madonna is very innocent afterward, but uh, that's kind of what it took. Like, she was doing whatever it took to kind of pursue that dream, and I don't think she was doing it with any, like, uh, ill intentions. I just think that that's just kind of how it happened. And she was so like boundless in her energy and drive to make it happen. And she was good friends with all these people. I think it's later on in her career that things kind of get a little more murky. So like, like with Shep Pettibone, she screwed him. (laughs) (laughs) But she did thank him in the thank yous to bedtime stories. Mm, Oh yeah. That, yeah, that was a, a, a canned thank you. She was rejected by at least one record label when she was trying to get yeah. signed up. Tell us who can tell us the story about the, the the important man in the hospital bed. Seymour Stein. He was having heart surgery. He was the president of Sire Records, and which was a division of Warner Brothers, and he was the one that Mark Kamens took the demo tape to. Actually, no, I think it was Michael Richardson. Um, who uh, brought Seymour the demo tape and played it for him in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. Madonna went to the hospital and signed the, apparently signed her record deal right there in the hospital. He was recovering from his heart surgery. So, but I think that there's this other guy, I think is Chris Blackswell or something. Like he's such an idiot. He he said no, he just turned it down. I think that's like, is that, is that his name? Let's name and shame him. From Island Records, was it? Island Records, yeah, and like that's he made such a big mistake, big mistake, huge. It's like I'd like scene. to get him on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get I'm sure he show. ended up regretting that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was 40 years ago. Is he probably not dead? I'd like to know who told that hospital story first off, though, because if it's Madonna, she does embellish. She, yeah, that's yeah, why like I'm really the thirty-five dollars. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm really worried about this script she's writing because I saw it in action <laughs> last night. I saw her inventing the dialogue. And I'm thinking yep. that, that's how it happens. Yeah. She, I've yeah. heard that New York story out of her own mouth and in her own words, yes. four different versions at least. Yes, I remember that speech that she gave. Yeah, it was very. We very have to trust anyway. that Diablo Cody is going to keep her honest and kind of then, you know, ultimately write it in the end. Okay, let's start looking at the tracks on the debut album here. Track one is Lucky Star. You know, for fans like me, I cannot even tell you how many times I've heard this song. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually getting to the point where I can, unless it's remixed or it's a different version, I can barely listen to it only because I've heard it so many times. Yeah. It's a Here. fantastic track, though, isn't it? Oh, it really is. And it's so danceable, and the video reflects that. But uh, it, I think the danceability, and she wanted to call the album Lucky Star. That was the original title for the album, yeah. which I'm kind of glad it's not in hindsight. But um, yeah, she was quite keen to that song. And uh, it's always been one of my favorites. But like you, you, you hear something a million times, and eventually it's time to hear something else. <laughs> Yeah. The guitars are so good. I love the guitars on that song. It's it like as soon as those guitars hit, it it totally it just you feel it in in your under your skin. You feel it in your bones. It's yeah. it's so. Does anyone know if those are real guitars or synth for that particular track? Oh, I'm not sure. I know on burning up. I think it was it was probably guys. it was probably a moog. It was probably a moog. Yeah, it's so darn cute, you know. I mean, she just gives that wink, and I love her outfit, her dancing. It's very simple. Take me as I am. This is I'm Madonna. I'm ready to conquer the world. Yeah. It's a great the belly cute, button. Yeah, yeah, the mesh top. You know, all the bangles, uh, the uh, Maripol ju- jewelry that was so cool. Yeah, and the belts were they? And it's a, it's a little nursery rhyme, guys. When you think about it, that's what it is. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and her brothers in the video. A brother, Chris, is in the, in the video. I find it interesting that the the lyrics are definitely referring to someone else. Yet in the video, she's you know typical Madonna. The lucky star is her. Yes, yeah. <laughs> hmm. It's been good on tour since, right? Like Confessions did an awesome version of it too. So, yeah. uh, it's definitely a fan favorite of all time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember that there was news footage. They had it, this was in like '85 or something. There was a whole Madonna store or a whole Madonna section at like a department store somewhere. Yeah. And they was like, yeah. And they had like this Madonna footage of, land. right. And all these girls were like going and buying all the clothes. And it was very cool. They, they had Andy Warhol come into Macy's and judge a Madonna lookalike contest. Oh, I saw that on YouTube not too long ago. Yeah. Pretty wild. Uh, and I don't know if it's just me or, but whenever, maybe if it's, because I'm removed from, because I grew up after this era. But um, when I look back, you know, Madonna's look still seems fresh and timeless, but all the wannabes just seem like not good fashion-wise to me. I'm like, it's so like way not as cool as Madonna. I don't. Uh, I was going to say that um, I someone gave me a copy, like an original copy of the vinyl, and it originally had a triangle pink sticker on the cover to promote like some of the songs, and they didn't uh, mention Lucky Star, which is interesting. It just has Borderline Holiday, Burning Up, Physical Attraction, uh, featuring the hits, you know, and uh, it's just kind of an interesting sticker and the fact they left out Lucky Star. Well, that yeah, I have be, the same that, version. That could be two, um, Chad, because 
she had already pretty much uh, recorded like a virgin and she didn't want them to release that. She's like, I want to get my new album out. I'm tired of the old stuff. She wanted to rush, rush, rush. And they're like, no, we got to at least release Lucky Star. And glad they did. because Yeah, but the fact that she wanted to call the album that and she was so hung up on that song because I was reading that that song and Borderline were going to be the whole foundation of the album in her mind. She mm. wanted everything to live up to like those two songs. Track two on the album, Borderline. Oh, I love this song. Jimmy Fallon loves this song. He got her to sing it recently on TV. Yeah. I've got to say, like this, this is an amazing track, and I'm sure you all have a lot to say about it. But one of the big criticisms of this album when it came out, it was universally praised. The critics did praise this album. But a lot of commentary about her voice because she does sing in quite a high-pitched way. Minnie Mouse, which she mm. ended up, in classic Madonna style, mocking herself by doing a photo shoot with Mickey Mouse, <laughs> a provocative one, of course. Um, but, yeah, Mickey, Minnie Mouse on helium was the quote that was used at the time. And I do remember my parents saying that she was rather high-pitched on, on this album, which was circulating in our home at the time. Was that really her singing that way or did they have studio effects to make it uh, to raise the pitch up. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm no, not she, sure, she, but she, I know, she, like a virgin, they sped it up for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that I was her nasally kind album. of way of singing. Yeah, borderline to me is 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 a perfect pop song, and it's. I love Madonna's videos. Uh, they're so iconic. This is probably my top three for one of her best videos. I think Mary Lambert, the director, she always did really good Madonna videos. One thing, I'll quote her, she said that when she was on the roof of that old building with that Puerto Rican actor, and they were like doing that makeout session, she said the light cast on Madonna's face so beautifully, and it really did. And just the, the cinematography in that video is fantastic. I love the colors. I love the street vibe you get from her with her little posse doing the break dancing and, you know, the little like, oh, I'm you know, I'm kicking the lamppost because my boyfriend is dissing me. It's just such a cute, and I'm, and then I'm going to go run off with this photographer because he thinks I'm going to be a hot model and I spray paint his car and <laughs> he gets all pissed yeah. off. I mean, story, isn't it? Great, yeah. great. And she looks so beautiful in it. Beautiful video. And the video told a story which was not that common at the time. Yeah, it's an amazing song, obviously. And th- there's this guy named Fred Zarr as well, uh, who, who's so talented and such a genius that I found out about yes. yesterday. Uh, and he did the opening um, chords for this song oh, and, and the chords throughout, which a lot of people say sort of are a bit like Elton John a little bit, like mm. a little bit reminiscent of that. And, yeah, I just think this guy made the album so good because he was on every track and um, I think his best work maybe was on this song. Yeah, yeah, he's Fred's amazing. And I, I was a great. huge fan of uh, Debbie Gibson too. Yeah. Who else? Loved oh, him. huge! Out but of the blue, when, out of the blue, and yeah. Electric Youth are, are, yeah. are both Zar albums, and they're brilliant. So yes, shout out to Debbie. I hear, whenever shout I hear his name. I think of that synth solo that he did for Debbie on Electric yeah. Youth, and she even says, yeah. uh, "Take it, Fred," in the song. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I have a very tragic karaoke uh, experience with this song. I was at, I did a karaoke thing one time when I was like 12 and I didn't know that the version of the song that they had was the full album version. And I was only used to hearing the Immaculate Collection version. So (laughs) I started singing too early and it completely messed me up. So, yeah, I've tried to block it out ever since, but this conversation brought back memories. 
Well, thank you for sharing it with the world. (laughs) Also, they tragically cut this song and performance out of the Virgin Tour VHS release, along with Angel and Burning Up, I believe. Isn't isn't that that. weird that they did that, Chad? I mean, it's... it's very. I don't strange. think it's that weird for the time because if you look well, at they wanted other... it six. They wanted it sixty minutes. They wanted yes, it absolutely. It. They wanted it VHS more... tape. Yeah, yeah. They wanted it more um, digestible for people. They were looking right. for like the the best parts of it, and now that's not the convention at all. But at the time, right. I think it was. Right. You'd literally run out of tape if you kept it all in. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, yeah. Track three on the album is Burning Up, which always, it still makes, reminds me of the of the Rebel Heart tour. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, quite after that epic opening and then she's, yeah. you know, what I feel, Madonna with the electric guitar. That was a big part Didn't of mind it being there in the stadium, but, yeah, no. down she goes. And an old <laughs> track completely remade. Mm. Awesome track, Burning Up. I love this song, and I was actually surprised when I got the vinyl because the version of that's on the vinyl, at least the version I got, which, like I said, was like the first pressing of it ever, it's completely different than the version that's on the CD and the version that's yeah. in the video that most people know. And I was, I didn't know about that until I literally started playing the record. And when that song started, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow. Okay. Well, well, this is another video that is so great. I yeah. mean, hello. I mean, it's so early 80s. Like her on the street. I mean, just camping it And up. her rolling around on the floor like oh, that became yeah. like her trademark at that time. Right. And then her boyfriend hits her with the car, runs her over. It's uh, you don't see that, but <laughs> I don't remember that part. No, I I just like <laughs> it's my own I imagery. Did- but I didn't learn this it. until recently, but the white outfit that she wears that actually has like a little piece of mesh on the side is this really cool design that was designed just for that video by Erica Bell, who is the black backup dancer friend of hers from that time. So oh, she was cool. designing all this clothing for Madonna at the same time. And I was like, this is a revelation. Like, I had no idea she was also doing that. Where wow. did you find that? I didn't know that either. Out? Yeah, she talks about it on Twitter. I was just talking with her openly about it on Twitter, and she was That's sharing so all cool. kinds of details. Does she still yeah. keep in touch with Erica? I don't think Madonna does, nope. Yeah, interesting. Track four, I know it. This is one of the few that uh, uh, not many people do know it, <laughs> funnily enough, because it's one of the unreleased ones. Great track, though, very 80s. This is the closest thing the album has to a filler, as far as I'm concerned. Even though when I play the album and it gets to this song, I enjoy it and it's catchy. So I can't really call it a filler, but it's definitely not a standout. This one in Think of Me, I think would be the filler of the album if we had to say, but they're still excellent songs. Is that the only singles? Yeah. Everything else was... Well, um, Physical Attraction wasn't technically a single on its own, but it was kind of like a double A side single, but it wasn't yeah. a, technically a single. No, I mean, but it is still considered to be like it had remixes. And Should stuff. have been, like, yeah. <laughs> well, I like, I think, I like think of me because well, I'm a saxophonist, so and there's a nice sax solo in there. So, oh yeah, oh, I was, I was, I was uh, noticing that there's more instrumental moments like that on this album uh-huh. than any of her other albums, where they just kind of jam out and let the song be longer, like in a club or something. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's rare you you find a Madonna song with a sax solo. I mean, yeah. you you find it on I'm Breathless, mm-hmm. but that's it. And it's, I think it's a great pop tune. I don't think it's filler. I like it. 
I think it's good. Yeah, no, neither do I. I think it's really swingy and the saxophone's really quite cool. It's not particularly characteristic of Madonna or in particularly this album, but uh, I think it's a really good song. Uh, it does sound to me, though, like another artist like is more likely to use this as their sound sort of thing. It doesn't seem like it's her, it's a Madonna sound, but I really like it and the way she does it anyway. So, yeah, it's good. Okay. The big one, Holiday, uh, which she's never stopped <laughs> singing no. for the rest of her career. It's such a brilliant track, though, and timeless. It doesn't date. And the, the way she reinvents and remixes this, funnily enough, they're, they're never radically remixed, in my opinion, just tweaked because it's just such a great original track. I love Holiday. It's a karaoke favourite around the world. What are we making of Holiday? Thank God for I, Holiday. I, 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 I hated that she broke the, the string of always doing it as the last song on her tour. I forget what tour that was. Someone else will know. But mm. uh, I you love were just saying, fact. yeah, that she yeah, always no, performed no, it. Confessions, it wasn't. You know what was sweet, guys, is is watching the Virgin tour and her singing the song and then stopping mid-song to, to see a, a Madonna moment so endearing that you don't see very often, where she's like, I feel like I'm a homecoming queen. I, I never I never was elected homecoming queen, but I sure feel like one now. And it just it was like the break, <laughs> and it was just such a beautiful thing. And then she yelled holiday and everybody just was great. It's a great song. And you know what? I think every single person on this planet likes it. I mean, you could play this at a wedding. Every single person will go on the dance floor. It's, yeah. It's so a, true. Yeah, it's the one Madonna song that I think everybody can relate to and, and put a smile on their face. It's, like you, like Tim said, the song sounds basically the same. You still recognize it, but she's able to bring it out for so many different phases in her career. And it works every single time. And it speaks to the timelessness of the track, I think. Yeah, like, I, I can't believe that somebody turned okay. it down. Like, I don't know who it was, but they turned it down. Madonna didn't write it. She just got no. it. And then um, Fred Zarr made it his own towards the end as well with his piano mastery again, which I just think he's so cool. And oh, yeah, I love that part. Yeah, he, he, he did that last minute, apparently, like the day before it was due in and, like, just made it so much better and... You know, this this track, yeah, like everyone says, just universally timeless and amazing. Mm. And, and, and the way she always, um, I'm sorry, the way that she always reinterprets it for every show, she like for Drown World, she did the sample, Music Sounds Better With You. So cool. So cool the way she did, incorporated that. Yeah. It was also the first song of hers that she allowed anyone to sample. Um, the Avalanches sampled it. Uh, in on their first album, and it was the first. Yeah, it's um, it's on like the third track, I think, on their first album, and they were the first people to ever be allowed to sample a Madonna song. It was also sampled by Jessica Simpson, of all people. She had a song called "Public, no, a Affair, public Affair." I think public, I don't think that was a sample. I think it was just it was just a similarity. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. I because she also had Dinah Ross in there a little bit, and that wasn't. I don't. It's a great song, but talk about ripping off two great songs. I don't think I, she's I, sampled. Yeah, I think she sounded ripped so off. similar. I thought they yeah, sounded very wow. yeah, they sounded very, but I don't think she sampled it. But it sounded a lot like holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Just letting our listeners know too that uh, lovely Lily, who joins us for most of our podcasts, did start today, and we're not just gagging her. She's no. not tied to a chair or anything like that, Sean Penn style. But um she <laughs> just 
to leave. Uh, so unfortunately, Lily won't be with us for the rest of the podcast. You yeah. Allegedly, Tim, allegedly. Think of me, track six. I, I love this song. It's, the reason being, if, you, if you're around at the time, this is just so of the time and just simple going down to the beach and it's just a nice tinny synthesised uh, like and the ambition in the voice again. Yeah. It's, yeah. The most, it's the most R&B sounding of all of the songs, I think. I like this song too. This is one of my favorites. I, I have to say, when I first started, get when I first got this album and I started listening to it, the beginning, that like bell sound or whatever it is at the beginning, I personally would have shortened that. I think it went on a little too long. But once the song starts, it's so cool. It, it's It's such a great track. I love the background vocalists. They're so good. And the lyrics are great. In in terms of that length of some of the intros and then the, the, the instrumental in the middle of some of the tracks and the outros being longer, it was different back then, guys, people who weren't yeah. born. You would go to a house party and you would put a record on. You, you would literally have it on and not be sitting there with your arms folded like you young people do examining <laughs> you'd have it on you'd be sitting in your beanbag yeah. and you'd be eating a chocolate i know bag. but the sound needs to be pleasant to the ears if it's going to go on for that long yeah I agree with Rocco. Like I, for some reason, I noticed that right away when I was first as a, as a kid, like hearing this album, I don't know why. I think you're overly critical, your generation. (laughs) I think you need to go back in time and just have it on in the background and stop examine over examining everything, Megs. Well, I'm not like, I I actually really like this song. Like it's the closest to filler I would say on the album, but it's not (gasps) even. So I reckon there's no filler on this album. Period. So, but this is close to filler. So, hang on, I just want to get the yeah, definition it's, it's, right. This isn't filler, but it's the closest thing to filler on this album. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, it's true. I think that's the right. record execs would say filler, but we don't have yeah. to because we're the fans. I think I very yeah. much gravitated towards all of the non-singles when I first like started listening to the album a lot because obviously, I mean, yeah, when it came out, I was like three. So I didn't, I did, I didn't listen to it a lot of the time. And then obviously I, I got into like a version in true blue first. So then by the time I got into this album, I'd already like the immaculate collection had already come out. So I knew all of the singles. So I think I kind of listened to like the non singles to death. So now I always go back and listen to the other tracks, but, um, but they're all great. Yeah, you know what? It, the lyrics well? talk about a relationship in a more direct way than almost any of her other songs, where it's specific about what happened and walking out the door and all that kind of stuff. Right. I always think of you, David, when I think of track seven, Physical Attraction, because I'm sure in every other podcast you've been involved in, <laughs> unless I'm wrong, this song comes up. You somehow weave it magically into the conversation. Uh, We're talking about Adam X. Oh, Physical Attraction is a good song. We're talking about Adam X. <laughs> <laughs> Physical attraction's a good song. So finally, legitimately, talk to us about physical attraction. David. Yes. Well, I'm very impressed with your memory, Tim. That that's very flattering. But yes, this song is is um, probably yeah. Uh, this I don't know why it means so much to me. Well, I don't mean to get graphic or anything or turn this into an X-rated <laughs> podcast. But I did I did have some good sex to this song, so I think that's why maybe. <laughs> I'm so into this song. Um, and I, again, 
I, I told you guys that I was a big fan of Madonna's spoken word songs. And mm-hmm. in the bridge where she's like, you're confusing me. I don't know if you want me, but I know that I want you. It's just, yeah. come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's Madonna at her best and at her sexiest. I think I love the instrumentation. I love the lyric. It's a very long song. I think it's the longest song on the album. Oh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's very special to me. This is not o- this is not only my favorite song on this album, but this is one of my favorite Madonna songs. Period. I love particularly the bridge with the part where she's singing. Um, you, you maybe we were meant to be together, even though we never met before, and the melody of that and the background vocals. It's like complete bliss. I love it. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, this is there's five singles from this great album, which are all incredible singles, but this one is technically not, and I think we all agree should should have been <laughs> should be six singles. Well, but she the- treated it as a single. She really would perf- when she would do her her club shows, and she would only perform a handful of songs. Mm-hmm. This is one that she performed a lot. Well, and when this song first came out, it was a double A side with Burning Up. So it was one of the right. first singles that was out. And it, and that was before the album really blew up on the, on the in the pop charts, on the pop charts. But Madonna referenced it in her 2012 Facebook chat with Jimmy Fallon when she was preparing for the MDNA tour. And she was asking him, like, which songs of my first album do you want me to perform? And he said, Borderline, of course. But then she said, well, what about Physical Attraction? So I thought that was really cool that she remembered the song and liked it enough to reference it. And this is the double A side you were mentioning with Burning Up that uh, her friend Martin Bajoin, uh, I hope I'm saying his last name right, um, he art directed and designed, uh, which the only thing I don't like about that is that it doesn't have like a photo of her, an actual photo on right. the cover. They're more stylistic, right. but it's very cool nonetheless. And then, of course, he passed away in 86 so can you i didn't know he designed that yeah he was the art director for it and the whole look of it yeah i have that i have that single in a in um on my wall and what you know you could buy those uh, frames that you could put lps in so yeah that's one of them i have my wall it's art can you guys can you guys imagine like she should have put out a video for physical attraction i mean it would have been uh, she could have done a sexy video to go with the sexy song uh, just missed opportunity yeah. for sure. I would have loved it if she performed it on the MDNA tour. That was my first Madonna concert. So that would have been incredible if she performed it live. Yeah. 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 She hasn't performed it. She needs to revisit it. Has she ever performed it? I don't think she's ever done it proper in concert, no. right? The full, no, like, full way through. No, she's never done it. Also, I'm looking I- it up. I'm 100% sure it came out in the UK as a single, but I can't find any... It probably did. It probably did. Because I had had a CD of it that didn't have Burning Up on it. The the single releases are so much different between Britain and America, and I'm sure Australia too, right, Tim? I'm sure. Yeah, that is correct. That's right. But maybe someone can leave a comment here. Where was Physical Attraction released, if anywhere around the world, besides a double A side? That'll be interesting to hear. The final track on the album is Everybody, which brings back great memories for me, mainly from the girly show in Australia, where she always at the encore section would come out wearing something of the country. She came out with the Australian cricket jersey, I believe, certainly the green and gold sports colours for Australia. Uh, And what a brilliant, brilliant 
version on the girly show was this far out the energy yeah. off the richer. and plus i'm sure and i've got a little note here which i was wondering if it would get me blasted away i'm sure that in the everybody girly show version when she's descending the stairs there's a little sample of the physical attraction in there too ah. ding 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 that i oh know it's mm. you know I've, I've listened to it and i'm not sure if it's a, i didn't catch that but i do love the girly show version and i love the fact that she merged it with um everybody is a star by sly and the family stone i thought that was genius because yeah. she loves their music and she did it previously on blonde ambition and yeah. so i love the fact that she did it again in a different way on the girly show yeah, exactly. way ahead of its time. The one on the prima donna is sounds a lot more fresh than the one on the, on her debut album. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear her vocals du- uh, doubled that way on the chorus. In which girly is not, show yeah. when she did everybody, it had elements of dance to the music and after the dance, but it doesn't right. say anything about physical attraction. But you guys have to give credit to, uh, I mean, yes, Girly Show, everybody's amazing. But everybody at the Virgin Tour, I love the dimmed lights, the boombox. You know, she had the, the little uh, fedora on with her dancers. It's a very sexy rendition of it on Virgin Tour. Yeah, I just love the video for everybody as well. It's just so raw and, like, reflects her humble beginnings in a way. Like, it's just her and the club just dancing. That's the entire thing. It's not very good quality. Um, no, it's not. It's wearing those clothes that are just so iconic. And I, I just love the video. I think it's it's such a good, yeah, reflection of where she came from and how she started in New York. And, um, yeah, and the song is just such a, a good dance track, and that's what she was initially doing. It was just dance, dance, dance. And so this song is really... um you know, historic sort of like classic Madonna song. And for me, I love the fact that this was the first track she ever released. She wrote it herself. Um, The lyrics are all her own. And it's a reminder that she actually, for everything Madonna became and has become in terms of a product, in in terms of a commodity, in terms of sensationalist and all of that, she's a musician. Mm. And this was uh, an ode or a poem to how she feels about music. Yes. And it tells you everything you need to know about where she began. I know that she's a lot of things, but at the core, she's a musician and she loves music. Yeah, get Thank up God. and do your thing, dance and sing. Like, and, she, and that becomes so iconic too, doesn't it, that what she repeats throughout it, dance and sing, get up and do your thing. Like, that, that's just classic Madonna and that's, that's all she's ever trying to do throughout the rest of her career. And, and, a, and a great line. And, and and a, and so. Yeah, Blonde Ambition, that's Absolutely. how she starts the show, say, 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 saying that before Express words Yourself. right out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say about the Everybody video that it's obviously like so much more low budget and and not as flattering as the ones that came with the album, which it's it's because it was done in 82 and not, you know, later on when she had much more steam behind her. But um, And Chad filmed at at Danceteria too, the club in New York. That's true. Yeah. I'm really upset that she did not include it on the Celebration DVD. Because this was the very first video that she ever did, and it should have been on there. And I don't. There's, like a, the there's a few seminal videos that aren't on that. I don't. I think is it Bad Girl? There's like a few like really good ones that are not on that. Uh, yeah, it's Bad Girl. My favorite video. <laughs> bad Girl. Like, how can you leave off Bad Girl? I know. Father's not on there. She could have put American Life on there, the original version. Ah, uh, yes. That takes us to the end of our discussion about track by track on the Madonna album. It performed 
brilliantly around the world. This is a huge, still to this day, in terms of Madonna's record sales globally, yeah. this is still way up there. After all this time, it's still way up there. Five million units in the United States yeah. alone, five times platinum in the United States. I know that it's hard these days because to compare a record of that era to one of this era, it's impossible. Yeah. It's apples and oranges Apples and now. oranges, yeah. However, it was a mega album. It really, really was. And what I love... And this is not unusual to Madonna's album, to be honest. It was a bit like what I think Chad was saying about letting artists grow and develop. Uh, mm. it, it took a long time, uh, well, relatively long time, for the public to catch on to this album. Yes. It didn't immediately go to number no, one. It wasn't immediately it was in the top ten. Yeah. It took 12 months to get into yeah, it. I wrote that there were five months between all of the singles released except for two of them. So the first three singles that came out, there were five months between each of those. And then the last two singles, there were, it was also five months. So that's a really long span of time. If you think about it in like the social media era, that would never happen. It's all, it would be so much more condensed. Impossible, right? Impossible. But, you know, I think that, maybe I'm just sad that, you know, times have changed so much and I'm officially old. But I, I do think there was something to be said about releasing a single and, and then promoting it beautifully and, yeah. and letting the album tell its own story. Uh, and I love the fact that people would cotton on to albums, even Thriller by Michael Jackson. Like it was pretty much big from the beginning, but only got yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, right people's attention top. spans were a lot longer back then. But also, and then she compiled them all onto the uh, video cassette as well. That was a huge seller. Yeah, in 1985. And this is the thing, like she did the album, but then she kept releasing and re-releasing and at different times in different countries. And so it sort of was sporadic where where it was successful, like in Australia and Britain and all the different places. But the one thing that was consistent was that people, yeah, thought the sound was really cool and new. Yeah, it got to, you know, number 10 in Australia. This is its peak yeah. chart positions. Germany, 28. Japan, 20. So she was conquering Japan. unlikely markets uh, back Japan then. Like so yeah, number eight in the United States, number six in the UK. Yeah, mm. but that was on its second release. So it came out in 84 right. uh, as Madonna, and then it came out in 85 as Madonna, the first album, with a really right. famous cover that, I have on cassette and I, I I cry every time I look at it because the the original artwork is so beautiful and I had no and I love the fact that the front cover of the album and the back cover of the album are the same picture which album do you guys which cover do you guys like better the black and white or color the black and white the color's awful oh yeah the it's- black and white for sure. The, I heard that she the the belly button arms up was supposed to be the front. Oh no! And then she said, "No, I don't want that one." I think they the the they were like pushing for that is the. She's like, "No, I want the close up." So that was smart. That was smart. Yeah, the close. And a little bit, a little bit of trivia, guys. Too. This is really cool. Uh, Lucky Star was in the U.S. I'm speaking. Uh, Lucky Star was her first top five hit. And it was the first of 16 consecutive top five hits for her. That's pretty amazing. Wow. That's a record. It's amazing. What else Should is left to say? It's, to it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's iconic. Uh, it's dedicated to her father. Um, she wrote all the songs except three. Uh, what else is there to say? It's just uh, the beginning of an incredible career that few have ever dared to dream of an incredible incredible career that she went on to have and an incredible album i just can't believe how uh, not lucky but how talented she was to have so many amazing tracks on a debut album is just it's 
it's it's amazing it's incredible and before chad one more plug for your facebook page oh madonna vintage on facebook okay want people to start looking at that while they hear the final thoughts uh david those those blue eyes even though even though that album cover was black and white i don't know that gaze she was she was giving us as an audience she just she reeled us all in you know gay straight young old i mean madonna arrived and she was ready again to conquer the world i go back to to the dick clark quote that i began the podcast with and good for her she made it and then some great album yeah, I think she secretly harbours a desire to, to run for presidency. I've no doubt that that is in her heart, whether or not she does it is another story. Rocco, final thoughts on Madonna? Um, I mean, I, I love the fact that, again, it's an all-dance album. I, I feel like, it, and also the fact that she wrote every single song, it shows that not only did she was she able to put out an album that was this strong, as far as there not being any real filler, um, an album that was really powerful and that made a statement in its own way. But the fact that she wrote almost every single song or most of the songs really showed that her artistic instincts were always there and that at this particular period, she knew exactly what the audience needed. What a beautiful way of saying it. Nothing manufactured here. It was just truly an expression of, of, of who she was at the time. Simon. Um, so, I mean, it's the only 80s album of hers that's in my top five. Uh, and this is, so you know when, like, when I talked about my issues with Confessions and I said that I wish you that... You have some issues with Confessions. Have you finished your Confessions therapy yet, by the way, Simon? No, no, I haven't. No, I'm, still, I'm still attending yeah. Confessions. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, with the fact that I, I, I wished that they'd done sort of elongated versions of the songs for the album version and then cut them down for the singles, which is what they did with this album. And I think this album to me is like exactly what I wanted her to then do with Confessions later on. I, it's, you know, all the songs are really long. They're all kind of club versions rather than being like single versions. And then, you know, if there was, if they wanted to shorten stuff for radio, they did that rather than making an album for radio. Like this was made for the club. Megs. Well, like, I just think that I just want to say that there was no luck with this album. I think it was like 0% luck and 100% talent. Mm. Like she was just so strong from the very beginning and got what she wanted, knew what she wanted and just went for it. And she just pulled it off so well. Cause she's just, She's got such a good voice. She's so good at dancing. She's just got it all. She's an all-round artist. And I think that um, it was very lucky that, you know, like it was very good that people picked up on that and made her famous like she did. And, and you know, she deserves it. Yeah, it was great. Let us know your thoughts. Leave your comments. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, and feel free to kick any one of our contributors in the pants if you don't agree with what they said. That's what it's all about. We all have different views. But I have to say that this is a universally loved album, I've got to say. How could it not be? If you like Madonna, mm. how can you not love the origins of Madonna, which yeah. is which is this album in spades? But hey, listen, Simon, Rocco, uh, Chad, David, Megs and Lily, wherever you may be, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me, Tim. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. It was fun. Lots of fun. See you guys. Have a great Bye -bye. night. Have a great day wherever you happen to be.